This segment of the podcast is sponsored by Traveling Knees Experiences, here to help you create new memories one experience at a time. When you're comfortable and ready to travel again, contact Traveling Knees Experiences at travelingkneesexperiences.com. That's the word traveling, N-E-S-E, experiences.com. They are ready to create your next memorable experience. Welcome to the What A Word podcast, a podcast where you can be encouraged, inspired, and uplifted. Join us weekly as we have real conversations with real people overcoming real obstacles. We guarantee you that as you tune in weekly, you will join us in saying, wow, what a word. And now here's your host, Ryan Sharp. This is Sharp. What up? This is Michael. I'm just reaching out to you saying, keep up the amazing work. Definitely been consistent with this whole podcasting. I hope you can hear me in my car, and it may be hard to hear me, so I'll make sure I'm loud uh, enough. So just want to say, keep up the amazing work, man. Um, the consistency is awesome. I see it. And um, God bless you. I trust that God will provide for you all that you need. And, and, and of course, thank you again for having me on as part of the podcast. So keep it up, man. I see you. Take care. Happy New Year, family. Welcome to the first installment of 2021. This is episode 42. And I hope by now you've heard a story that's connected with your experience. I know I often find myself saying, I thought it was just me that went through this. You hear someone else say it and they're in a successful season and they identify challenges that you can connect with. And I'm hoping you're inspired by that. I'm hoping that you know that someone else went through what you're going through now and you're not alone. In fact, comparison kills. And my guest reminds us that we should not look at other people's timeline as a measure for our failures. We have our own timeline, powerful nugget. And here I am getting into what my guest said, and I haven't even introduced the guest yet. But I'm hoping that through the episodes, you're connecting to something that inspires you. Thank you, Michael, my friend, Michael Olisamika, my guest for episode 10 for the kind words. Appreciate it, bro. My guest today is Jessica McKenzie. She's a New Yorker by birth with Jamaican roots. Jessica has a master's degree from the Whitehead School of Diplomacy and International Relations at Seton Hall University. She received her Bachelor's of Arts degree in political science with a minor in Spanish from the illustrious Hampton University, where among other campus activities, she studied abroad in Japan. Jessica currently works on the strategy and execution of PepsiCo Beverages North America's corporate reputation and executive visibility. 
strengthening its brand as a valued corporate citizen and elevating the thought leadership of its executive leadership in their respective areas of focus. Additionally, Jessica serves as the communications director for PepsiCo Beverages North America CEOs managing external and internal communications. Join me in welcoming my guest, Jessica McKenzie, to the Waterword Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. It's a pleasure. So Jessica, um, our listeners will probably gather at some point that we know each other. In fact, I feel like there came a period where years started going in five-year increments. Um, There was a point we were both coming of age in the Bronx, New York. Then you went off to the illustrious Hampton University, and I was in the Bronx trying to work with youth ministry, etc. And you were always so helpful with community work, anything related to church. I'm so proud of where you are. So this conversation for me is a catching up of sorts. But with that in mind, you have a beautiful family. And I just wanted to know what in terms of unexpected blessings you've experienced in this season. Thanks for that question. And I'm glad we get in there, we're getting a chance to answer that because so much of this year has been defined by the loss that we have to force ourselves to sit down and reflect on the things that we still have and reflect on the blessings that we still have. And I think the, the, the surprise that I had and that I've been grateful for is having a front seeing my daughter do remote school where she is a fresh kindergartner and she is um, also in a dual language program. So I'm also seeing her learn a new language and we're spending quality time together right in our, our, in our home. You know, it's both of us side by side. It can get a little bit challenging, you know, managing, you know, work and home life. But I have to say that it is, it, it was a surprise, but such a blessing to be able to be with her and spend all of this time with her as she learns. Um, a, another surprise um, is the work family and the connection and the deep connection that we've developed over this this year. You know, being in the office, you would think that you would have had a greater connection because we're right next to each other. We're able to have those sidebar conversations and you know have numerous meetings. But having gone through COVID, doing crisis response and finding new ways of communicating with our employees, we've really grown closer because we've worked so many hours together. And because of that bond, I feel like we'll be even a a much stronger team going into 2021 because we've been able to make decisions so quickly. And we went through so much with, with crisis, you know, that we've just developed this greater bond that, you know, I am, I am grateful for. So with my family spending the quality of time and the second family that I have at work, they were great surprises, but, you know, certainly a blessing going in. That's awesome. And I feel like within the last number of weeks, I've had the opportunity to exhale without getting too much into politics. I just feel like the country has the opportunity now to go in a more positive direction. And I wanted to know as a mother of a brown girl, what does the imminent 
appointment of Kamala Harris as the VP signify for you? You know, Kamala's, you know, being the vice president-elect, it really brings to the fore that anything is possible. And if we remember, you know, in her speech, she said, while she may be the first, she won't be the last. And that was her promise to all brown girls, you know, around this country. And I think even reverberated beyond the US. And while it was her promise, I think it was a charge for all of us to make sure that we encourage our, our girls to dream big don't put a cap on where you can go and what you can do. She signifies, she signals, you know, what you can be and even more. You can be anything that you put your mind to. You can be president, you can be vice president, you can be a doctor, you can be anything that you want to. And I think that's what I've taken from her being vice president-elect is that she has made it real, but it's also our charge to make sure that we continue paving the way to continue to encourage our girls to dream bigger because those dreams can be realized. Good points, good points. Now, by your own admission, and I know you don't have to tell me, I know it's in the bio, but I know you were raised in the Bronx, but you were also born in the Bronx as well. Yes, yeah, so I was born in the Bronx um, and I was there until I went to high school. So we moved to White Plains when I was 12. So I started high school when I was 12 years old and that's when we moved to, to White Plains. But I felt like everything for me was in the Bronx. I went to church in the Bronx, you know, I, my family was still there, still there. Um, and so much of me while it was in White Plains and I had a, you know, great time and great high school life in, in White Plains, much of me was still in the Bronx, still spent weekends there. Um, and like I said, like my grandmother, my aunts, you know, they're, my uncle is still there. So yes, yes, <laughs> roots in the Bronx, but I still by way of, you know, a, a, a lot of having been in high school and spent time there and you know, first jobs there and, you know, working in the community, you know, is, is in White Plains and my mom is still in White Plains. So you're an alumnus of the illustrious Hampton University. University. Um, and, and that time is so critical for so many young adults. What led to Hampton being the choice? I fell in love with Virginia after doing a trip with one of my friends and, and her mom um, in middle school. And we visited Virginia Beach and there was something about Virginia that I just felt it was, you know, the people were, were wonderful, the weather was great, you know, and, and that stuck with me going through high school. You know, when I thought about colleges, I knew that at some point I wanted to get back to Virginia. So in looking at those schools, UVA was on my list as well as Hampton University. But another part of it was that I did not like the cold. <laughs> and if I had a decision to make to go to school for four years and to get out of the New York tri-state area where there's cold, I, I saw the opportunity with going to school. And, and so I looked at school, you know, up north as well. You know, I looked at UConn and, and um, 
went to Delaware and then Howard and DC and other and other schools. But going to Hampton and doing that tour at Hampton, it was the um, leader of the, the group. His name was Garrett Fox. And he actually became my big brother on campus when I decided to go there. But after that tour, learning about the history, learning how they cultivated talent and black excellence and really um, strive to be the best. If you left there not wanting to go to Hampton, something was wrong because he completely sold me on it. Um, and what made that decision easier for me, I got waitlisted from UVA at UVA. And so because that happened, it was just like, okay, this is destined. I am destined to go to Hampton University, this clear. And then they had a pre-college program as well. So I was able to do pre-college over the summer before um, my official first year as a freshman. I actually had to return home to graduate from high school um, during that pre-college semester. And it, it was the best decision that I could have made because all I needed to focus on when I was at Hampton is being my best, doing my best. I didn't have to worry about any sideshows or anything to distract me you know, from making sure that I'm focused on my studies and that I knew that my professors had my best interests at heart. All I had to focus on was being my best. And, and, and I'm telling you, Hampton gave me a wonderful experience and has molded me into the person that I am today. And I'm so grateful for having had that experience. And how did you sell it to mom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was certainly a selling factor because so... Like I said, I started high school when I was 12. And so I was starting Hampton when I was 16. And going to college at 16, my mom, would she would have loved for me <laughs> to be around the corner. Yukon was, you know, it wasn't far, like an hour, hour and a half drive for, from our home. So she knew if anything was wrong, she could just go there. And being seven hour drive, what a, you know, a plane was only like 45 minutes to an hour. Um, but just a seven hour drive for her, she's just like, you know, I really, you know, there are other, they're closer schools. <laughs> so I had to come with a full package on why this was a great opportunity for me. Um, and she was on the tour and she was also, I mean, she was also sold by Garrett Fox on why there's nursing, looking at the curriculum and, and just the richness of the history of Hampton University, like Emancipation Oak is right on our campus. You know, the campus is beautiful. It's surrounded by water on three sides. You know, like it's it's a wonderful place where you would want to leave your child. And it's a smaller school. So with that, you know, you have some comfort and everyone feels like family. The Hamptonian love is real. It goes beyond just your four years. If you see a Hamptonian today, you're like, you went to Hampton? And you give the Hampton hug. I mean, it's it's a place where as a parent, feel comfortable sending your child to that school. And so in coming with the package and having experienced that tour, I think she came to realization, like this is the place where she needs to be. It's awesome, man. And I know you've made her proud. Your bio tells a story though. Your bachelor's in political science, a minor in Spanish. I just knew you were on track for law school or politics. <laughs> yes. 
you're, you're was, was that a consideration right. while you were at Hampton? Yeah, that was, you know, that's the reason why I did a poli-sci major because I had an interest in being in, in public office. Well, I should say my interest was to be a lawyer. And um, very quickly as I got into the coursework and I found that my passion for the law wasn't as strong as I needed it to be to pursue a JD. And having worked with lawyers in, in my career, I could have pursued it because a law degree, you can do anything with a law degree. It doesn't mean that you have to be in a courtroom and you know that you're a lawyer yourself. You know, you can, it, it actually is just a tool, you know, that you can use anywhere. Um, so I could have pursued it. Sure. I didn't have to, you know, but I decided like, you know, I'm gonna, and after conversations with my professor who was a mentor at the time, I decided to go to grad school to pursue a degree in international relations and diplomacy because I was like, I'm gonna do the foreign service exam and then be a diplomat. Um, so that's where that change happened. And even with that, you know, I got experience, you know, working in city government, having worked with a civilian complaint review board, um, also with the Secret Service. So I still had that opportunity to be in a public service area, you know, without having pursued that that um, law degree or even just going into public office. So you're right. My 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 bio certainly tells that story, but I, I think I made when I look back, I made the right decision in terms of being able to use that degree and how it has come full circle with my career at PepsiCo and the people that I have engaged with along the way. And you also had the opportunity to study abroad. Yes, I did. And then I had the opportunity to study abroad. And so even with, you know, being thinking about being a diplomat, you know, and having that international experience, I was able to study abroad. And what that helped with in my undergraduate for my undergraduate thesis, I was looking at the educational system, the differences between the United States and the Japanese, um, the Japanese educational system, and the impact that it had on mental health. And having been there and being able to have interviews with professors, with students, it really gave me an on the ground um, experience to be, be able to inform that research, which was very helpful. Um, but it also even spurred my, my wanting to pursue this degree in international relations and diplomacy because I had um, that opportunity to be abroad. And I think you did a good job of sharing your experience. As far as I remember at Victory with young people who were considering college and you really sold Hampton, this historical black college as a place where young people could land, mm -hmm. um, be mentored, be affirmed, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Do you see, I guess I'll ask it this way. Do you think we do enough in our communities to share uh, the best of what our schools have to offer? I think we've certainly made inroads in doing that, but we can always do more because prior to me going to Hampton, I'll be honest, like I didn't, I didn't know it as an option or even, you know, you think about the Harvards and the, and 
you, you know, you, you think about those types of people, like that's what you aspire to be, but why can't we aspire right. to, to attend the top HBCUs that has, have given so much to our communities? So, sure. you, you know, so I'll be, you know, very honest going to Hampton, like that was a personal decision based on a tour, based on research, you know, um, but I think we do need to give a bigger voice and a bigger platform for what HBCUs represent in our community. And they are on par with any university out there that you are seeking to get a degree. And I think the more that we show the products that come out of those schools, you can see that it has, it has brought to the fore our now vice president-elect I can speak from my own experience. Of course, I don't see myself on the same level as our vice president like, but it, we have so many examples of how HBCUs has crafted the best talent, some of the best talent that you see in our country today. So we can do a, we can certainly do a better job of, of really touting how great they are. Mm-hmm. And how, how painful was it to to leave, uh, you're being surrounded by all this black excellence to go to Seton Hall's Whitehead School of Diplomacy. Was that a painful decision? Were you thinking, maybe I should just go to another institution where I'm surrounded by, you know, the people and, you know, was that a consideration for you? No, it wasn't painful because I, I went there with, I, I, I went there with a purpose in terms of, you know, seeking this degree. I knew that I wanted to come back to the tri-state area. So my mindset was a little bit different going into grad school. And I felt that for undergrad, it's important to go to a school that will mold you, right? And I felt like I, Hampton, what Hampton provided me was this foundation to be able to go out into the world to really fulfill my purpose. And, and so with going to Seton Hall, I felt like that was another stepping stone in my journey that Hampton already set me up for. Um, and it had its role in terms of providing me the, the necessary network, it provided me necessary support and the resources to really delve into um, this degree, attaining my master's degree in international diplomacy. It's one of the best. It has wonderful connections, especially with the United Nations that, you know, I was seeking. And so it, it played its part and it's a part of my entire story. So I think they worked hand in hand as opposed to me feeling like it was a painful decision because it didn't, um, it wasn't an HBCU or, you know, the majority didn't look like me. I think what it did, it was just a part of my story, a part of my package. And I'm grateful for what Seen Hall has provided in terms of the opportunities having attained that master's out of that school. So you're highly accomplished now. Um, went off to school, obtained your bachelor's, completed your master's. Mm-hmm. What kind of economy were you looking at when you came out in terms of your options? Oh man, when I came out of grad school, so I graduated in 2009, um, and that is when the 2009 crisis was happening. The economy was down, and that's right. That also impacted me obtaining a full-time role coming out a job out of grad school and I'll tell you it was a tough time for me personally because I felt like I had checked all of the boxes coming up to that 
you know, like I did everything that I was supposed to do. So the last thing is like, you do your bad, you do your math, everything should be set, <laughs> you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't. Um, and my mother had a conversation with me that I'll never forget where she said, Jess, why don't, while you're looking for your perfect job, right? Why don't you sign up with a temp agency? And I was just like, what? A temp agency? Like I have my master's. Like, why do I need to do this? Like, this is like, the, you feel like the job should just be rolling through the door, but that just wasn't the case for the economy at that time. And so I heeded her advice and I went to sign up with the temp agency and walked through the door, did the interview. Um, and the first opportunity that came across their desk was with PepsiCo in their global oh. public policy and government affairs function. Wow. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, when I think back, I'm like, look at that. I was waiting for everything to line, for all the stars to line up. And I go to this temp agency and I have an opportunity that is perfect for what I've studied for. And when you think about PepsiCo, you're not thinking about government affairs. You're not thinking about policy. You're thinking about the products that they make from Pepsi to Tropicana to Quaker. You know, you're thinking about the portfolio and the marketing and, you know, and that what goes into that. So I see this and I, you know, interview for the role. And so I start at PepsiCo as a contractor. And what my responsibility was at that point is to be a senior analyst. And I was doing research based on our markets in Russia and China and how policies impacted our business there, um, as well as working on our relationship and our engagement with the World Economic Forum, which is a non-governmental organization, but that brings together thought leaders from government officials to representatives from civil society and business to discuss issues, global issues that impact, you know, our economy and beyond. And that couldn't, again, that couldn't have been a more perfect role transitioning from grad school and the coursework that I was doing into a Fortune 500 company doing this work. Wow. And it, it, and, and look, look where that experience got me because having been a contractor, there are people that, said, you know, you're a contractor for too long, you need to move on. And how I saw it was, as I see with any experience that I have, I was continuing to learn new things. I was giving opportunities over and over again. And I was having experiences that I probably wouldn't have had if I was coming from street, you know, into a new corporation. Say, hey, you don't, have these boxes checked, we don't, we're not sure you're the right fit. But PepsiCo over and over again gave me the opportunity to try new things, to do new things, and gave me new challenges, um, which has been the story um, of my entire time having been there. And now 10 years later, I'm still there, and I've done a multitude of things, and that is because they continue to take a bet on me, continue to invest in me, and give me the opportunity to ensure that I can continue that constant student. And what listeners should know, Jess, it's, it's a compelling story. 
Listeners should understand, though, that being a contractor is, in essence, you're saying, let's see where this goes. It's a step of faith Mm -hmm. because the company isn't entirely sold on you yet. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. Think about when you're going on a job and before you get insurance, (laughs) like you have to do a certain amount of time before your benefits unlock. You're absolutely right. That's exactly what PepsiCo did. And I'm glad you put it, you framed it that way because I didn't think about like, hey, we're not sure about you yet. So we're going to, until, you know, they are sure and then you get that print. But I I saw it as, I saw it as another blessing, right? That I'm able to work as, although I'm a contractor on paper, they treated me as a full-time regular member of their team. And even when it came on to end of year reviews or mid-year reviews, I didn't have to do objectives or put anything in a system and do, but I actually forced my managers like, hey, these are the objectives that I'm looking to achieve this year. And they had to review me and give me that constructive feedback. And that stems from my household where my mom, even on holidays, would come home and she would ask me, just what did you do constructive today? And while at that point I didn't see why that was important and why I needed to have done something constructive, I see now wherein I strive always to get that constructive feedback and you know, making sure that I'm always challenging myself and doing more and going above and beyond because it's not just for my own edification, but making sure that I'm always moving the needle in whatever I'm working on and continue, continuing to be that constant student of my craft. That's awesome, Jess. I wanna take you back to that moment because you've made that investment in not only undergrad, but in grad school. You're out now in an unfriendly economy. Uh, you're doing work as a contractor, stepping out on faith, putting in the hours, and then there comes a point when the company says, now we're all in, we want, we want you on board. How did that moment feel? <laughs> you know, even, <laughs> even thinking about it now, I still get emotional because while I've had success along those two to three years um, while I was a contractor, it did something for me when they said it was going to be permanent. And I think it goes back to what you said, like maybe it was sort of this personal um, like gratification, like I did it, you know, like this shows that I was able to prove that I belong here. Right. And, and so I guess that, that part of it makes me a little emotional. It's like, I waited for this long and finally, you know, I'm across the finish line. I'm able to, to be here as this, as this full-time employee. But, but also I think when making that transition, what happened was having spent three years, it actually kickstarted the, my career in communications because not long after 
becoming a full-time, I moved into corporate communications, um, being manager of global communications there. And what that role was, was being able to connect what we were seeing at a global perspective, like a global PepsiCo position, making sure that's aligned with what we're seeing in our local market so that we're speaking with one PepsiCo voice. So if we have, if we have a position on water, is making sure like, okay, this is PepsiCo's position on water, but in Latin America, what are sort of those proof points that ladder up to our overall commitment? And so at first, did I know that I would have been in communications now? No. But what I quickly learned having transitioned into that, into that role was the fact that all of the skills that I was building along the way, you know, whether it's storytelling, whether um, it is building briefings or it is identifying how do we um, localize the efforts that we're making. So when I was thinking about the research in Russia and China, it's like, okay, we have a PepsiCo position on agriculture, but hey, I know what we're doing in China with our demonstration farms or you know what's happening in Russia. So I was able to, to really ladder up you know, based on the experience that I had in government affairs and how we are structured, a lot of the people in our markets who work on government affairs also do communications. So I also moved into that role already having a network of people that I could tap into that I worked with previously um, in this new new function. And that kickstarted my career in communications and I've loved it ever since then. <laughs> ever since then. And what you've highlighted is that you know, by your own admission, you identified that you could use some of the skills that an attorney would, and you're just using it differently now. You're an advocate for the brand mm -hmm. entrusted with handling the reputation and the visibility of the company. Yes, wow. absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, having worked with lawyers um, as part because you know I served as the PR person for our general counsel you know it you find that there's so many similarities with the law you know when you're talking about communications like in comms you want to make sure that your stories reflect the diversity of your people the same way the law needs to do that you know the law needs to be real you need to make the law real for people so that they can see that they can justice and a law that sees them. Um, it's the same thing with storytelling, making sure that you're not just telling the story of our executive, but you're also telling the stories of our frontline who are really the foundation of our business. Um, and, and that has been the joy in doing not just this role, but across my career is being able to shore up those type of stories and how PepsiCo is making an impact where we live and work and, and how that really shines through in who we are and why I continue to be proud of the company that I work for because we've been able to make that impact along the way. We will return after a short break. That's awesome, Jess. And I think what you've also done for me is you've highlighted in a very transparent way, uh, perhaps some soul searching you had to do in 2009. But I'd like to ask you, there is a young adult who is in 2009 at this moment. Uh, they've accomplished a lot in terms of the investment 
but they're in an unfriendly season where they don't know which way to turn and they have friends and relatives who don't even understand. They, they won't even get to the point where you got to where you said, let me see where this goes because the friends and relatives are saying, what you're doing is ridiculous. It makes no sense. You should just throw in the towel and do something else. What could you say to that young adult who is now physically living in 2009 where you were at that time? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I, you know, I think for those who experience, you have to be able to beyond your family network, lean into your professional, your school network. And and I said this before, the decision for me to go to grad school when I decided like, hey, I'm not going to do law school, that was because of a conversation that I had with my professor who, you know was my mentor but we we sat down and we talked through it and he you know he raised schools that you know great schools that were in this field and really helped me along the way so i would say lean into your network of people that you've come across your professors your your um if you've done internships going back to the you know the managers that you worked with while there to get their advice, like never underestimate that. And another part of it is don't be shy of taking on what you might see as a medial job because you never know where that's going to lead you. Because look at me, like I literally was looking at my mom and saying, what do you mean a temp agency? I have my master's. And, and that led me to a career at a Fortune 500 company. Can you imagine like if I said, I am better than this, I don't need to do this, I could have missed out on this opportunity. And so I would say never look at something if it's gonna be volunteering, um, if it's gonna do an, in, an unpaid internship, always look at it as this is an opportunity for me to grow. This is an opportunity for me to meet someone who might open a door. Another part of this being in 2009, say your period of rain, right? Stop measuring your life against, and I think social media plays into this, a, a huge part of this. Don't measure your life based on what you see on social media and where others are. A lot of times we're saying, oh, this person looks so successful. They were able to do this in two years. They were able to do this in a year's time. A lot of times on social media, which is majority of social media, people don't post their failures. They, they don't post the times they were going through their periods of rain. Right. They only post their successes. And so when your time comes, know that that was your time. That was your time for your, your rain to end. While this might be a period, use use your network use your your opportunities that do come that you might think are medial use that as your umbrella to get through the rain so that you can one day reach your sunshine but you have to make sure that you stay on your own timeline and don't measure against others that you don't fully know their story unless you dig in right and so we have to make sure that we stick on our timeline and know that any opportunity that we do get it's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to grow in your own way and on your own time.
Awesome, awesome. And and it's a segue to social media. I, you know, I gotta tell you how much I enjoy your social media page. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I don't even <laughs> because you know it, it it came it came to my attention that um you you've kept some pretty good company on social media. <laughs> now, now let me just cut right to it. How do you break the ice with Barack Obama and Joy and Reed? Could we just cut right to the chase? Cut okay, right to the chase. You know, that's so that's so funny. With so when I met President Obama, it was at the Obama Foundation Summit. It was their inaugural summit. And um, I attended as a corporate attendee, and they had a reception where I was able to meet him. And because of my my work, I've been at events where he's there, but never in an area where I would be talking to him one-on-one. -on -one. And I knew that I needed to break the ice on common ground. So I worked with, at, at, at the company, I worked with a former Obama um, official. So I went straight for that. Like, hey, do you know so-and-so? You know, I work for this person. So that broke the ice and it certainly broke my nerves to be able to have a conversation because now it's like, we know the same people, <laughs> you know, as small as it might be, but, you know, at least we were able to break the ice with and that. And he seems gracious. He seems he gracious. He was so gracious. So, I mean, what a phenomenal human being, you know, not just for who he was as president, but you see that carry through if you've you know, read his recent book, A Promised Land, you know, you see that carry through in who he is as a father, who he is as, a, as he was as a son, you know, like he's just a decent human being. Um, and I think all of us can take a page out of his book on how we can be better citizens, better responsible citizens and doing our part to make this country a better place. Um, on the joy front, joy, that I can forget all of my, what I said, you make sure you have a common ground. I was completely fangirling her. I was at the Congressional Black Caucus um, conference and we were at a brunch. We were sitting at the same table, mutual friends around the table and my friend who knew her, I was like, isn't that joy? And she was just like, oh yeah you should take a picture. And I was just like, no, 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 no. She's with her people. Like, we don't need to do this. And she was just like, just take the picture. So I was like, okay, fine. I probably will never get this opportunity again. So I just went up to her and I was just like, I love you. We watch your show. <laughs> and she was just laughing. And she was That's like, awesome. keep laughing. And so when you see the photos and you see us laughing in my hands, it was me telling her how much I love her. And, and, and she's another one. You know, seeing her go from her segment to now having, you know, the top slot in the evenings with the readout, it's, it's, it's really wonderful to see. And I think overall with MSNBC, they are doing phenomenal things, not just with Joan Reed, but now you see Rashida Jones going to be the president of MSNBC, also a Hamptonian, by the way. You know, um, you, you're seeing Jonathan Capehart. You see Tiffany Cross, who just, you know, started her segment as well. It's wonderful, man. It wonderful. is really wonderful. Really, really wonderful. 
And, you know, it's not lost on me, Jess. And, you know, if I've never said it publicly before, I'm so proud of you because the parallels between just yourself and President Obama is not lost on me either. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. I mean, from the, the having a parent who... <laughs> having a parent who says... There's no way. <laughs> There is a parallel I'm working it through. <laughs> you know, I appreciate it. I, do I mean, in all seriousness. I, I really do appreciate it. That's um, very kind. That is he, very kind. He had, by all admissions, a strong mother who refused to let him quit. And you've had the opportunity many times to, to throw in the towel and um, trusting God, being patient, um, keeping your options open you've now given a powerful testimony for those coming behind who are in that season, letting them know that it's not over. Don't judge your journey by someone else's. Mm -hmm. There is a path that is set for you. Just continue to move ahead, to trust, and wonderful things can happen. Absolutely. And you, you, you mentioned my mom, and, and I've mentioned her, you know, a number of times during this, this interview, but my mom is really the source of my success. You know, I mean, when you think about for all of the times that I need, I needed propelling forward, she has been my launch pad. She has been my guide along the way of, as well, as well as, you know, my family overall, you know, I come from a family of strong women from my mom to my grandmother, to my aunts, they all had a hand in my upbringing. And I credit them for the strength that I have in the workplace, for who I am as a mom, and even as a wife. Um, you know, and even being a wife and having a partner like your namesake, Ryan, who is able right, to right. also be a guiding light along the way. I feel very blessed um, to have these people who have stood by me, but also is when you see me being able to take on a new challenge, because I have that cheering squad yes. um, that really stemmed from my mom, really started with her. And to this day, I am so grateful for the influence she has had and her continued guidance along the way. Powerful, a lot of great nuggets. And listeners should know Jessica McKenzie is a communications executive with more than 10 years of experience in strategic communications, executive communications, stakeholder engagement, government affairs, and public policy and corporate reputation. She's also a mother and a wife and has a beautiful family. Jessica, thank you so much for your willingness to share with our listeners. A lot of great takeaways here, and I believe listeners will be inspired by your testimony and your journey as well. Thank you so much, Ryan. And I, I have said this to you before, but I want to say it again. Thank you for providing this platform. As much as you are proud of me, I am incredibly proud of you. Thank you, you know, so much. I, you have always been a voice for the youth, but now you have brought in that to be a voice for our culture in creating this platform. Thank you, so thank you for the opportunity to be able to share the story. Blessings to you and the family, and I look forward to the journey. Thanks again for being a guest on the Waterworld podcast. Absolutely. Thanks.
I know people who graduated at 21 and didn't get a job till they were 27. I know people who graduated late at 25 and they found work immediately. I know people who never went to university but found what they love at 18. I know people who found a job straight out of college, making decent money, but hate what they do. I know people who took gap years and found their purpose. I know people who were so sure about what they were going to do at 16 and changed their mind at 26. I know people who have children but are single. And I know people who are married but have had to wait eight to 10 years to have children. I know people in relationships who love someone else. I know people who love each other but aren't together. So my point is, everything in life happens according to our time, our clock. You may look at some of your friends and think that they're ahead of you, or maybe some of them you feel are behind, but everything happens at their own pace. They have their own time and clock, and so do you. Be patient. At age 25, Mark Cuban was a bartender in Dallas. It took till 32 for J.K. Rowling to be published for Harry Potter after being rejected by 12 publishers. Ortega launched Zara when he was 39. Jack Ma started Alibaba when he was 35. Morgan Freeman got his big break at 52. Steve Carell only got his break after 40 years old. Virgin was started by Richard Branson at 34. Getting your degree after 25 is still an achievement. Not being married at 30 but still happy is beautiful. Starting a family after 35 is still possible. And buying a house after 40 is still great. Don't let anyone rush you with their timelines. Because as Einstein said, not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that's counted truly counts. And this is the most important thing. I want you to be able to create meaningful, purposeful, fulfilling lives for yourselves and learn how to use that to make an impact and a difference in the lives of others. That will be true success.